A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon here with the title, Speaking God's Language, which was actually the first of a two-part message, and I intended to conclude that message the next time I preached here, which obviously is today. However, today is also Father's Day, and so I chose to focus on that subject this morning and put the uh, conclusion of the other sermon on hold until a later time. So I trust, I hope, my desire this morning is that the sermon will be an encouragement to the fathers, but not only to the fathers, but to everyone else that's here this morning. The title of the message is A Living Legacy. A Living Legacy. Each one of us here leaves a legacy behind us. It doesn't matter if we're a father or if not, if we are married or not. If we have children or don't have children, if we are young, if we are old, we will all leave a legacy. And the legacy that we leave behind us depends not only on how we spend the last 10 or 20 years of our lives. We think of old people leaving a legacy, so we don't tend to worry about our legacy maybe until we get older, then it's time to think about our legacy. Well, the legacy we live may actually, the, the legacy we leave may actually depend more on how we live the younger years of our lives and the middle years of our lives. And if we wait until we're old to think about the legacy we're living, we missed the greatest opportunity. Two weeks ago, I had an assignment to speak at uh, Shalom Mennonite Church about two hours north of here on a subject of church outreaches. And as I was preparing for that topic... My mind went back to a certain circumstance, and I was impressed in a new way with the far-reaching effects of the decisions of one person and how the decisions that one person makes will have an impact on generations to follow. In this particular circumstance, which took place 101 years ago, There was a young man by the name of Ralph who lived in a community not so far from here. And Ralph was not a man that had the best reputation. He had made some bad decisions. These decisions left their mark on his life, on his reputation. However, when he was 28 years old, Ralph made the decision to join a Mennonite church. This was something that no one in his family had ever done before. To my knowledge, this young man had no relatives that were Mennonites. Now, was that an easy decision? Well, obviously, I was not there, but I'm sure that it had its challenges. And I'm sure that it was discouraging at times, because it is never easy to join, to integrate into a different culture. Fitting in, feeling accepted, and especially when you have baggage that you're carrying with you. Was this young man's decision worth it? Well, I suppose God needs to be the judge of that. But I'd like to share some more details that may be a bit of an indication as to the implications of his decision. Today, 101 years later, Ralph has a couple hundred direct descendants that span five living 
generations. And because of his decision to join the Mennonite church, today there are Mennonites that carry Ralph's family name in at least six different states. And beyond that, his descendants have been involved in mission efforts in 15 to 20 different foreign countries. The heritage of each of those descendants has been directly affected by that fact that Ralph Bang, who was my grandfather, made a decision to join the Mennonite church. If he would not have made that decision, it's very possible that not one of his descendants would be part of a plain church today. If I would not have had the upbringing I had, I have no idea where I would be today. I highly doubt that it would be standing where I am at this moment. Now, do not misinterpret what I am saying. My point in giving that account is not that a person's value depends on how many of his descendants are Mennonites. The point I'm making is that the decisions you make will have a tremendous influence on those who follow you, on generations to come, on your children. And the question I ask this morning is, what is the legacy that you will leave? And I would like those of us who are fathers to carefully consider that question this morning, but not only those of us who are fathers. This is a question for mothers. It's a question for grandparents. It's a question for aunts and for uncles, and for sisters, and for brothers, for teachers, for mentors. It's a question for everyone. What is the legacy you will leave behind you? In the text that Norman read, Elijah was coming near the end of his life. And he asked Elisha, what would you like? Elisha said, I would like to have a double portion of your spirit. Now I'm wondering when you come to the end of your life, or even today, whatever age you are, even if you're 20, even if you're 12, would people look at you and say, I would wish for a double portion of your spirit? Or would they say, I wish for nothing of your spirit? And when people look at those who follow you, Will they say that the spirit of Samuel or John or Dave is upon his children? When they say that, will it be a good thing, a good observation, or will it be a negative observation? This morning I'd like to look at several examples from the Bible of legacies that people have left. And I've chosen some things that I would like to emulate in my life, some things that I would like my legacy to include, and some things, some areas in which I know I need to improve in. And as I give some of these characters, there's one thing that each of these characters have in common, probably more than one thing, probably many things, but there's one thing in particular that each of these characters have in common. I'd like you to watch for that as we go through this, and at the end of the message, I will ask you what you observe that these have in common. So see if you can uh, observe that. And then as uh, 
Norman mentioned we'd also like to give some extra time for you to share about a legacy that someone left that you appreciate. Maybe it's your father, maybe it's an uncle or a brother or a husband or whoever it is. We give you uh, that opportunity as well. I've chosen four different aspects this morning that are illustrated by different characters of the Bible. Number one, a legacy of believing in God. And this is illustrated by Elijah, going back to 1 Kings, uh, where we read about Elijah's life. A legacy of believing in God, even when it seems illogical. Elijah lived an interesting life. He lived a life of faith. And I think many times, or most times, or maybe every time, a life of faith is synonymous with a life of obedience. Faith equals obedience. If you trust God, you obey God. And it's interesting, some of the things that, situations in which Elijah simply believed what God had to say, even though it may have seemed illogical, or even though obedience may have seemed illogical. First of all, Elijah was asked to tell Ahab, the king of Israel, that it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Some of these statements would take a lot of faith, but Elijah had this legacy of believing what God said. Then God told Elijah, go out into the wilderness, stay by a brook. So that's what he did. Later he told him to get up and go to a widow. Now why would you go to a widow? for someone to help you. doesn't seem logical, but that's what Elijah did. And finally, God says to Elijah, okay, the time is here. I want you to go and show yourself to Ahab. Now, it so happens while Elijah was in hiding that Ahab was searching far and wide for Elijah. It says there is no nation or kingdom where he did not search for him. And if he couldn't find him, he made the kings of those countries give an oath that they know nothing about Elijah's presence. He was hard Set. Elijah was on his most wanted list. And now God says to Elijah, go show yourself to the king. That would be equivalent to surrendering yourself, turning yourself in to a death sentence. From man's perspective, Ahab was hard put to find Elijah. And then we have that showdown on on Mount Carmel, where Elijah was going to have a face-off with this wicked king, very notorious, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the groves, and all Israel against one person. Pretty intimidating, pretty intimidating situation. And if I would have been in Elijah's situation, I'm sure all kinds of questions would have gone through my mind as I thought about this showdown. What if, what if somehow these prophets managed to get fire in their altar? What if God doesn't choose to send fire onto his altar. What if these 450 prophets attack me? All kinds of questions he could ask. He was laying everything on the line. His success, his reputation, his life. It would have been so much easier to avoid that event and just skip out. But Elijah left a legacy of unquestioning obedience because of his belief in God. 
Will I be, be, be remembered as a person who believes God, who takes his word literally, takes it for what it is, takes it at face value? What about the written word of God? Am I willing to take God's word for what it is? Even when there are things that do not make sense to me. What about when God's word says, Give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. Am I willing to believe that and to respond to it? Or what about the verse that says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Am I willing to believe God in those situations? What about when the Spirit of God may direct me to go someplace where I don't want to go, someplace that does not make one lick of logical sense? How can I care for myself in that situation? How will I make a living? How will I care for those I'm responsible for? What if I'm not well received? Will I be remembered as someone who believed God and took him at his word? This was the legacy that Elijah left behind. This was the legacy that Elisha wanted to carry on and continue. I'd like to look at another example. And this is the example of another prophet, the prophet Daniel, a legacy of praying to God. So first of all was the legacy of believing in God. Now we have, secondly, a legacy of praying to God. How important was prayer to Daniel? How important was it in his life? Well, it was so important that he had three designated times, prayer times, every day. We read that in chapter 6 when the law was made that no one could make any request to anyone but the king. It says he prayed, as was his custom, three times a day. Now I wonder, do you think Daniel was a busy man? Certainly he was not as busy as we are, we might think. Certainly he does not have the schedule I have. But think about it. He was perhaps the prime minister, we might say, of the country at that time. I think right under the king, there were 120 princes, and then there were three presidents that were responsible for these 120 princes, and he was top of the three. Now, some of us, if we're responsible for five or ten people, we think we have our hands full. What about 120 princes in the whole country? And yet, in spite of his schedule, prayer was a non-negotiable item in Daniel's agenda. If he had a secretary, I think his secretary was informed not to put any calls through at these particular times. This time is blocked out on his calendar. He had that marked. How important was prayer? He had three designated times every day. How important was prayer? It was so important that when he was told he may not pray, his natural response was to pray. What is your natural response when you find yourself in a predicament, in a difficult circumstance? Is your natural response to pray? It was so important that it was his lifelong practice. You know, chapter 6 is not the only instance in the book of Daniel in which we find that he prayed. It's mentioned in chapter 2. It's mentioned in chapter 9. It's mentioned in chapter 10. Chapter 2, I believe, was near the beginning of his life. Some of these other situations were near 
the end of his life. Prayer was important. Daniel left a legacy of a praying person. How important was prayer to him? It was so important that he associated with other people who prayed only to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were his close associates. And at one point, he actually put a word in to the king for these people, and the king gave them a higher position. And then after that was the situation where they would not bow down to his image because they were bowing only to God. Not only did he associate with others who prayed to God, but he also influenced others to pray to God. And we see that several times. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, after his senses returned to him, after he spent that time roaming with the beasts in the wild, his reason returned and he made a decree that people need to pray to God. And King Darius, after the lion's den, also made a decree that people need to recognize the God of Daniel. When you think about the legacy you will leave, will you and will I be remembered as a praying person? That's something I desire to be a part of my legacy, but it's not going to happen if praying is not important to me. And I ask the question, do you, do I, have a designated time or designated times every day for prayer? Or is it something that I just squeeze in if it works, if it fits? What is more important to you? What is more important to me? The pressing demands of the day or spending that time with God? What is your first response when you're facing a difficult situation, when you're facing an overwhelming problem? I don't have time to pray today, or I cannot afford not to pray. That was Daniel's response. I cannot afford not to pray. And I wonder how much influence we have on those around us to pray, or don't they even know that we're a praying person. Men of prayer are men who have a positive influence on others. Fathers of prayer are fathers who positively influence their children. Women of prayer are women who can have a positive influence on others. Does the legacy that you are leaving include the legacy of prayer? I'd like to look at a third legacy that is good to leave. First of all, believing in God. Secondly, praying to God. The third legacy is a legacy of living for God. And I'd like to look at two examples. One is the example of a man who did not live for God. The second is the example of a man who did live for God. And then consider which example better describes our lives. One example would be the rich fool. The account that Jesus gave, the man who was prospering financially, materially. Things were going well for him. He had a good business sense. He said, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to make room to prepare to, to um, handle all these blessings that God has given to me. Didn't say it in so many words. And as I read that account, I think, you know, this is a man that would be well-respected in our community. 
In fact, he's probably a man that would be well-respected in our church. He was a successful man. He had good business sense. He was pursuing what we would call the American dream. He worked hard. He got good returns for his work. And after all, he had the right to enjoy it, the efforts of what he did. But there was a problem with his lifestyle. And the problem is that he was very nearsighted. He looked at the things that are tangible rather than the things which are eternal. Now, some people may say he was not nearsighted. He was looking ahead to tomorrow. He was preparing for himself. But the fact is, tomorrow is very near. Eternity is what we will focus on if we have a long-range vision. So his vision did not extend beyond himself in what would benefit him. That was a nearsighted vision. His value system, like I said, was based on the tangible rather than the eternal. He was living for himself rather than for God. But on the other hand, there's Paul, another character we could look at, in contrast to the rich young fool. Now, if Paul would live in our community today, if he would be a member of our church, he might raise a few eyebrows. We'd have a few questions about a person like him. After all, he doesn't even hold a regular job. He never stays at one place long enough to keep a good job. We might say he doesn't even know what it's like to work hard. All he does is just lives off of the support of other people. If he would just settle down, he wouldn't get himself into so many difficulties. All these shipwrecks and stonings and all these things, eh, he wouldn't have to endure that if he'd just behave himself. And we might even come to the conclusion that he's just a man that enjoys travel and adventure, and he just finds a respectable way to do it at other people's expense. But as we carefully evaluate his life, we see that he was the opposite of the rich fool because his vision did not focus on himself and on what would benefit him. In fact, he laid his life on the line for the good of others and for the good of God's growth, the growth of God's kingdom. Paul was not concerned about having a house that the neighbors would envy and the nicest pickup on the block. In fact, I'm not sure he even owned a house. He probably didn't even have an old mule, let alone a brand new pickup. His value system was not based on the physical. It was not based on the present, on the tangible. But it was based on the eternal. And then on the lives of men, the souls of men, that which he knew would not pass away. He was living for God rather than for himself. How will I be remembered when the time comes to write my obituary? Will I be remembered simply as someone who knew how to make material gain and store it up for my own benefit, for my own pleasure? Or why be remembered as someone who invested my life in God's kingdom and the growth of his kingdom? The way I am remembered will depend on my values and the values that I show. And those who follow and those who are watching my life will know what was important to me. They will be able to see 
what was important, what is important, and if I value the things of God, it will make a difference in the way I live. It may make a difference in where I live, the community in which I live. It will make a difference in how I relate to my neighbors. Do I have time for my neighbors? Or am I too busy? We looked at three different aspects of our legacy, believing in God, praying to God, and living for God. All of these are centered on God, which is appropriate. And I'd like to look at one more aspect. But before we do that, let's just think about who we do believe in. Is it in God or is it in self? You know, the, the culture of today really emphasizes believing in yourself. You have to believe in yourself. And they may not say so in so many words, but it would actually almost equal praying to yourself. You know, if you have a problem, you need to find a way to resolve that problem. And it's certainly that of living for self. The fourth aspect of the legacy that I would like to leave after my focus is on God is then taking time for others, focusing on those around me. And I'd like to consider briefly the example of Dorcas. You know, when there was a need that Dorcas became aware of, she had time to respond to that need. I would imagine that Dorcas also was a busy person. And suppose someone comes to her and says, you know, Dorcas, I, I just really need a new coat. Her response could have been, well, yeah, I believe you do, but not now. I'm too busy. Maybe if you come back next year, I'll see if I can work it into my schedule. But you see, her agenda was not what steered her life. It was the needs of others. And I asked myself the question, will I be remembered as someone who had time for those around me? That hits us pretty hard because we're all busy people. Life is full of demands. And so often I have to ask myself the question, what controls my life? Is it the things that are most important or is it the things that are most urgent? We've heard the expression about the tyranny of the urgent. The things that are urgent just dictate what we do at the moment. There are always meetings to go to, appointments to meet, job demands. Do people feel that I have time for them? Do my children feel that I have time for them. What legacy will I leave? Dad was too busy or dad had time for me? Do we have time to play a game? Do we have time to take interest in the projects of our children, to attend their activities, school functions, whatever? What about my neighbors? Do they feel that I have time for them? Do those with needs around me sense that I have time for them to minister to their needs, to listen when they want to talk. This is something that hits hard for me. And uh, maybe some of those of you who have experienced these um, demands of time have some advice. I would be open for that. Share with those of us who are younger. Do we have time for others? So now I ask the question, what is the legacy that I will leave? As people look at my life, where they say, this is someone who believed in God. This is someone whose life was a life of praying to God, living for God, 
And then focusing on others, taking time for others. We looked at the life briefly of Elijah, of Daniel, of the rich fool, of Paul, and of Dorcas. Now, I told you to try to think of something that these people have in common. And probably there's a number of things. But I wonder what comes to your mind. Can you think of anything that these people have in common? Speak up. Unselfishness. Love for others. others. Keep going. Humility, Humility, did I hear? Okay. All working for the same thing. I'm looking for something maybe a little more concrete, a little more tangible. They had eternity in mind. They were single. Ah. Okay. Now, now you're getting close to what I was thinking of. The Bible does not record any of these people of having had children. And maybe you think it's strange that I choose those for examples on Father's Day. But I did that for a purpose specifically for those of you who groan inwardly or maybe outwardly at needing to listen to another Father's Day message when you are convinced that you will never have children. Because we're not aware that any of these men or women ever had children. And yet they left a legacy. And every one of us will leave a legacy. Last Sunday, our family had a family gathering, and we had a designated time for sharing memories. Quite a few of us gathered together from various states, people that don't see each other very often, and we just sat around and listened to memories from 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And one thing I noticed as I was listening to those memories is that as one person shared a memory about another person, In many cases, that other person had absolutely no recollection of the situation that the one person was describing, because they did something that they did not consider significant at all, and yet what they did was remembered, and it was passed on. And many times, the stories that were told were not about a father or a mother. It may have been about an aunt or an uncle. It may have been about a brother or a sister. And my point is that every one of us here will leave a legacy, whether you are a parent or not. You will have an impact on the lives of others. And to those of you who are parents, to those of you who are fathers, you have a responsibility that God has entrusted to you. And that responsibility allows you to relate, interact with people even more directly in the legacy that you leave for them. Now, the full impact of the legacy that you leave will not be recognized 10 years from now or even 20 or even 50 if God tarries. You see, a solid legacy 
is a legacy that lives on even a hundred years after you're gone. It will make a difference. For better or for worse. A positive difference or a negative difference. And I'd like you to think about the path that you are traveling. Each one of you. Is a course that you are setting today the course that you wish for others to follow? Is the example that you're leaving the example that you wish others to live by? And remember, it's not so much where you are today, but it's the direction that you're headed. Someone said one time, even if you are on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. It's not so much where you are, but where you're headed. Are you headed in the right direction, and are you moving in that direction? Because if you're going in a certain direction, those who follow you will probably go farther in that direction. Are the footsteps you are leaving leading others to where you want them to go? And is the life that you wish to look back on in your later years the life that you're living today? The, the legacy you leave will be carried forward. It may be carried into other states. It may be carried into other countries. Your legacy will live on after you're gone. What will your legacy be? We mentioned that we'd like to give extra time for sharing today. And I encourage you to share a tribute to someone whose legacy you appreciate. And we're especially thinking of fathers, but let's not limit it to that. Maybe your grandfather. It could even be your son or a brother. Maybe your husband or maybe none of the above, but someone that you noticed and you appreciate. And maybe there's something about your heavenly father that you want to recognize, a way that he's touched your life. This is an opportunity to honor others. We'd like to close with prayer and then uh, give you time for that sharing and um, bringing honor to those who have touched your life. We invite you to kneel together for prayer. Father, we thank you for your wisdom in creation. We thank you for creating the family and for the privilege we have to grow up in families. Thank you for creating homes, fathers and mothers, and for the influence they have had in our lives. And I'm sure each one of us here can look back at ways that our lives have been touched by those who have gone before us. And I pray that as we look ahead, we look around to others, that we would consider the legacy we are living, leaving behind, that we could leave an example for others to follow. Lord, I pray that you would touch our lives today, touch our homes, bless them and use them for your honor and glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.